Cubicle Night Noodlings, recorded on the 26th of March, 2021. This is my corner of the internet where I talk about the fun things that tickle my nerdy nerve endings. This is the 26th morsel-sized podcast. So I think I'm getting back into the groove of things. I'm almost at a routine. Let's see if it holds up. Coming up, I'm going to talk about my cubicle chat on the 20th of March, user-friendly printer management with OpenSUSE Yast, Arduino-powered dementia-friendly media player, my OpenSUSE corner, and a computer history retrospective on decision-making systems from 1984. Something I find troubling with our society today is how people seem to have a lack of grace and forgiveness. This is just about every community uh, for which I've been a part. Linux, open source, my local, like, in real life communities and social circles in which I exist. What troubles me is how quick some people are in just cutting another off for a past offense or mistake or perhaps something understandably more egregious like an attitude or mindset. I personally believe everyone is worth a second chance. For as long as someone has life, they're worthy of redemption. I have a hard time with the idea that once someone has committed an offense or series of offenses, that they are no longer worthy of redemption. Of course, there are extenuating circumstances and actions that that change this, but those are really the fringe cases. The point of this bit of rambling is I do believe that we need to be good to one another and treat each other with kindness and grace. Humans make mistakes and do dumb things. Businesses and organizations are made up of humans, humans that make mistakes and do dumb things. We have to give and be given the opportunity to fix it. I'm not going to say here what specifically comes to mind because that's not important, but suffice to say, I wish from the bottom of my heart that people would take responsibility for their failed actions and that we as a community could say, we accept your apology, now do the best to make it right. Most certainly it may not be enough for everyone to be happy, but there has to be an out, an allowance for redemption for everyone. Or maybe I'm a foolish idealist that doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll leave that up to you to decide. Last Saturday... I did this thing called the Cubicle Chat, kind of a low-rent biddle on uh, on the 20th of March. So I really missed the biddle community talks on Saturday nights, and I wanted to kind of revive it a little bit, you know, kind of step in for a while. And I want to thank the OpenSUSE project for the use of their Jitsi server to host it. And especially I want to thank Rocco for starting biddle and, and fostering such a kind and helpful bunch of people. I think the max was somewhere like uh, 15 concurrent viewers, or which is, you know, at least a dozen more than I expected. So we talked about a whole range of topics, everything from OpenSUSE 15.3 beta testing to ConSafe, which is a plasma backup and restore utility, uh, file synchronization and transfers, uh, FarinOS, uh, Dominic, he stopped by and talked FarinOS, of course. We talked RetroTech, our early internet life in the dial-up era. Of course, Star Trek and other sci-fi shows came into it, food, because food is generally open source, generally, uh, retro gaming, and, and really much more. I have had a request for European-friendly time. I'll try to make that happen. I just have to figure out when. I will have another one of these on the 27th of March, so tomorrow, from the time of recording. I hope at least a dozen or so people are able to join this time. Uh, it'd be good. It'd be great. I'd love to talk to more like-minded nerds about technology and science fiction, food, whatever. It's all really very enjoyable. It's nice to catch up with old friends. I did a little write-up on uh, user-friendly printer management with OpenSUSE asked. So the problem was, if I had a printer fail or get hung up or... If I tried to print something and I wasn't on my home network and, you know, whatever. The printer would require authentication to resume on the computer. Not network-wide, but just on the computer itself. You know, this is fine for, like, a user that is very Linux-savvy to punch in the root username and password and then, you know, get the, get the thing spinning up again. A buddy of mine, uh, I won't say his name is Paul or anything like that, he asked me what the solution for that was. And so I'd had to do a little digging, and I figured it out. 
In the YAST printer module, there are some policies, and you can actually specify the operation policy to allow for anybody to control it, and I, I applied that operation policy to all local printer configurations. And that was really all that had to be done, and I could start or resume the printer without any unnecessary security authentication. So it's better for, I think, the typical home user. It probably should be the default, but, you know, I don't know or see everything, and, and all that is open source, so there's probably a reason for the way it is. No idea. Regardless, it's good to know how your system works. This adjustment makes for the average user a better desktop experience. There is a seemingly endless torrent of interesting creations around the web with a multitude of incredibly creative and talented individuals. And so I decided to start indexing some of these these projects, and I'm going to either post them on cubiclenate.com or makerscorner.tech, kind of depending on, on the project. But I want to highlight this Arduino-powered, dementia-friendly media player. Something about the parts for, I'm a little behind in putting it together. In a nutshell, it is a... Uses an Arduino board, a DF player that's cap- capable of playing MP3s, just a micro SD card for music storage, a rotor encoder for tuning, a potentiometer for volume control, and a speaker. And that's really, well, and a power supply too, but that's really about it. So it's not very expensive, it's just going to take some time to put together. I got a, a dead radio um, housing to put it in. Once I get it you know, prototyped out and figured out, I'm going to put it inside of that and then give it as a gift to my mom so she doesn't have to use cds anymore i, I kind of want to replace her cd player which is getting old and the cds are scratched so give them a polish rip the media off that put it on the uh venture friendly media player and, and let her just select her cd by the rotary encoder and adjusting the volume obviously with the knob this is a useful and unique project for an arduino if you haven't done one before this is probably a good choice for you with just a little bit of skill in woodworking you could potentially create your own housing in which to uh to put the dementia friendly media player or you know repurpose something that's lying around the house maybe an old answering machine. That'd be kind of fun. For my open SUSE corner, I just want to kick it off with a bit of an open SUSE smile. I think I'm going to try and find one of these every week, at least one. We talk about something that just kind of made me smile. So the Destination Linux network had a virtual user group meetup last Sunday, and it's the 21st of March. And what I noticed this time is there are more open SUSE users around. They're, they're just, they're there. I felt like, you know, four or five years ago, I was the only open SUSE user, at least the only vocal open SUSE user in these different groups on the internet. Now it, it seems like the there is a lot more similarly minded distribution users as I am. So that not only were there several different open SUSE users, but there are two open SUSE board members that did join the virtual user group meetup. And it was a lot of fun. So, uh, so they're out there. It seems like there are more and more open SUSE users and uh, not, not that I'm trying to take away from any other distribution because that's, that's silly, but to include more people who are maybe new to Linux, help them along, I think that that has nothing but benefits for everybody. In OpenSUSE news, an entire rebuild of Tumbleweed brings enormous updates. There were a few packages untouched, and OpenSUSE's rolling release distribution Tumbleweed uh, this last week as updates poured out five new snapshots. The 2021-0311 snapshot provided an entire build of the distribution, which is something that does occasionally happen. And more recent, the 2021-0317 snapshot updated more than a half dozen packages, which included the data plotting package kplotting as the lone KDE Framework's 5.80 package to update in the snapshot. A memory leak fix was made and updated Flatpak 1.10.2, and a security update in the package fixed a potential attack where Flatpak applications could use custom formatted desktop files to gain access to files on the host system. There's an update to system D, Python packaging, and a lot more. 
So check that out, news.opensuse.org. It's a well-written article with lots of details on the changes in Tumbleweed. You can also go to my show notes. There's a link there to the article as well. For my Tumbleweed Roundup, Snapshot 2021-0311 had an unstable score of 69 because it was a pretty large rebuild. Issues with Snapper, Wicked, SystemD, and a few other things. 2021-0312 had a moderate score of 86. HP Lip Utilities were failing. World of Padman didn't launch. We talked about that last week. 2021-0315 had a stable score of 93. 2021-0316 had a stable 96. It was a pending stable 95 and increased to 96. You don't see that happen all the time. Usually it goes the other way. 0317 had a stable score of 94. 2021 0318 had a moderate score of 89. It was a boot delay due to network manager wait online service. Um, about six references for issues there. 2021-0319 had a stable score of 94. 2021-0320 has a pending stable of 94. The upgrade of Perl 5.32.0 to 5.32.1 created some requirement issues. Uh, me personally, I just kept the obsolete packages until everything else kind of comes along. 2021-0321 has a pending stable of 95. You can check out the reviews of each of those snapshots. I have a link to that in my show notes. For my computer history retrospective, this is my segment where I like to look back in time and see how the world of technology has advanced. Now things have stayed the same. I find we often forget how far we've come and how good we have it today while not always remembering well, how we got here. Having some historical perspective on computers and technology can help us drive some appreciation for all the digital wonders we have today. Computer Chronicles and Decision Support Systems from 1984. They kicked off the episode with this game called Epidemic that simulates a global infection caused by meteors. Now I found it fascinating, however, maybe slightly disturbing. Gary, what we have up on the computer right now, is it's actually a game called Epidemic by Strategic Simulations, but more importantly, it's an example of how you use a computer to choose among alternatives, make a decision, uh, establish a, a complex strategy for solving a problem. The problem in this case is a worldwide epidemic caused by viruses coming in from outer space. What we see here on the first screen is a view of the world, our first bit of information. It shows us the different regions of the world. For instance, Region 7, which is in Western Europe, it shows us we have a 2.5 level epidemic there. The arrows show us whether it's getting worse, better, staying the same. We have a projection in days, in seven days, it'll get really serious in that country. Uh, whether or not any remedies are being applied there, what the success or failure rate of those remedies are, and how many people have died in that particular country. We see, say, 16 million people it shows, of, it shows us have already died in Western Europe. Now, this is just a game, Gary, but as I say, it's a good example of how the computer helps me make decisions, choose from alternatives. What we're talking about, more or less, is something called computer-aided decision-making, I suppose, or decision support systems, and like some of these other things we've talked about, the first trouble is trying to define what it is we are talking about. So computer-aided decision was a thing in 1984. I guess it is kind of a thing today. I haven't really heard that terminology used as of recently, but they were uh, forecasting programs to calculate trends and outcomes and expert systems that draw conclusions and make their own decisions, they all use some level of artificial intelligence. The railroad uses for long-term financial and operations planning based on forecast and future demands. The system utilizes records of train capacities, labor costs, taxes, fuel costs, and revenues to predict financial impact of future strategies. Another system called Prospector analyzes mineral content of geological formations and recommends drilling sites. It contains many features associated with artificial intelligence. The software makes recommendations based on probabilities. What I think is so fascinating about this episode is how much of all the work done in 1984 and before carries on today. Although I haven't heard the term computer-aided decision recently, artificial intelligence and machine learning are buzzwords today for things that really aren't too far removed from what they're doing some 30 to 40 years ago. Obviously, there's a lot more computational power. And, you know, I could be wrong about this. You may argue otherwise. And I would love to hear about it. Send me an email, a telegram message. I'm on Matrix, any of my social channels. 
I will. I would love to uh, have discussion. Or you could uh, join me for a cubicle chat, and we can uh, we can hash it out there too. There are a lot of people on this planet, and it is the only planet we know today that can sustain life. I do think it is important that we find a way to get along with one another. We don't have to agree on everything. That'd be boring and cause us to become incredibly stagnant. So take it upon yourself to find a way to get along with people as much as possible. You really can't go wrong with an open and honest dialogue. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this bit of nerdy nonsense and my other ramblings. If you have any corrections, addendums, or comments, feel free to send me one of those fancy electronic messages to me at cubiclenate.com. For more of my nonsense, visit cubiclenate.com and use any method you like on that contact page. I'll get to it as quickly as I can. If you'd like more from me in the world of podcasts, visit dlnextend.com. That's D-L-N-X-T-E-N-D.com, where I have a chat with my two splendiferous co-hosts, Wendy and Matt, about the wonders and excitement of the Linux and open source world. Our last episode is dedicated to feedback. I had such a good time with it. I think we really need to incorporate it more often into our shows. Check it out on the Destination Linux Network. Now that that episode isn't out yet at the time of recording, but will be within a few days. Until next time. has released the figures for its second fiscal quarter. In the quarter ending December 31st, Commodore's profit margin was $50.1 million. That's more than double the profit margin of the previous year's second fiscal quarter. Commodore is also experiencing a major shift among its executives. Four have resigned in the last two weeks. They include the acting president of Commodore's U.S. unit, marketing vice president, the systems engineering director, and a director of materials. The resignations occurred just two weeks after Jack Tremail left the company. The home computer maker says the resignations are not related. The company is delaying plans to debut its new computer. The 264 was due to be released in April. Commodore's general manager says decisions on the kind of programs to include and what price to charge have pushed back the 264's introduction date. See yous.